Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, perfect white dove. Seventh day, release the dove. The dove from above. Let the white dove hover over the waters. <laughs> Let the white dove sanctify the nations. Noah, on the seventh day, release the dove. The seventh day, after it stopped raining. Mm -hmm. So, it's a time of purification of the virginity of Jesus. And that will bring all your sexual morality to the surface, all your insecurity, all your lusty eyes, lust of flesh, even all your pride of life. It'll bring all the beast, red dragon, and false prophet to the surface. And the issue is when you're getting forgiven so much by the white dove, released from the throne of God and the Lamb, is that people have a tendency to feel ashamed because it really makes you look bad because the standard is absolute perfection of spotless glory the Holy Spirit is exactly that perfection spotless glory with not a drop of mixture with not a drop of lust not a drop of guile in fact the Holy Spirit is completely selfless to the point of not even having a face called the faceless man, the paraclete, the one called alongside to help. So the Holy Spirit will work in you selflessly. The Holy Spirit will work in you sacrificially. The Holy Spirit is so humble that He'll work in you until you're exactly like Jesus and won't even ask for worship, won't even ask for credit. We're talking about the perfect humility of Moses and the Holy Spirit. Complete and total selflessness. Complete and total sacrifice to the point of not even having a face. Can you imagine not having a face? Can you imagine not having a name? Could you go your whole life without a name? <laughs> Do you need a name? Do you need a face? The Holy Spirit still needs to work on you. Mm -hmm. A sanctified by the Holy Spirit until you're nameless and faceless. And then you get new names. Many new names. Many of you are functioning out of new names. Many of you are functioning out of your kingdom nature, your divine nature, your Christ nature. You know that every single one of you have the name of Jesus? Did you ask Jesus Christ into your heart? When you marry Jesus, your last name becomes Christ. Do you know that Jesus had a different last name? Jesus, the, jo of the son of Joseph, the carpenter's son. That's what the Bible said. That's what the unbelievers said about him. Isn't this the carpenter's son? They knew him by a different last name. They identified him in the flesh of the family of Nazareth, of Joseph, the carpenter's son. And his name changed when he was 30 years old when he got baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan River. He went from Jesus, the carpenter's son, the son of Joseph, with the last name that's not even recorded in history. Maybe you can search it out, but I've never been able to find it. It's like erased from the face of the earth. What was Joseph's last name? That was Jesus' last name for 30 years. 
Think about that. God took on a human being, a sinner's last name, for 30 years. How humble is the Holy Spirit? Wasn't offended by it? Just like, that's kind of cool, actually. I mean, that's how awesome our God is to submit all of His div divinity to our humanity, to redeem us back into His divinity. That's perfect humility. To submit all of His divinity to all of our humanity, to restore us back to His divinity. That's perfect humility. Amen? And it's already been long done, long done and over. Long gone. Two millennia ago. The issue is, we haven't been partakers fully of that divine nature. We haven't fully sacrificed our last names. And you can have fun with it too. I'm not saying go and get a name change. You, you need wisdom in this stuff. You need to be spiritual, not carnal. Because a carnal mind will stumble over everything of the Spirit. No part of Christianity is for the flesh. So people come around and they interpret things in their carnal mind. They interpret things naturally. They stumble on everything in real Christianity. Because Christ is a life-giving Spirit. Until you're humble enough to receive it into your spirit, into your heart, everything of God is a stumbling block to you. I mean, even the immature things of God are a stumbling block to carnal Christians. You can talk about base level salvation, but it, unless it's in the spirit, is it really even salvation? I've been born again of God's spirit? Born of the spirit and the water. You know, being born again, day one, is being born of heaven and the water of heaven and the spirit of heaven. Amen. In the bloodline of the Messiah. Jesus Christ in John chapter 3 says, Day one, salvation is, you are now of the heavenly kind. That's not something you work yourself up into. That's the day you're born again. First day as a Christian, you are now of the above kind. John chapter 3. You're of the water kind. You're of the spirit kind. And of the divine kind. A different class of being. And it doesn't require any works. It requires just simply receiving His sacrifice by faith. If you ever add works to it, you go back under the Old Covenant and you start serving fallen angels, and that's what Satan and his angels have done to 99% of Christianity. And listen, there's mixture. There's mixture, mixture, mixture. So it's not like just all or nothing. That is not it at all. There's degrees. There's levels of sanctification, levels of purification. Moses took 40 years in the wilderness to be sanctified unto selflessness. I don't have, you have 40 years. Oh my God. He can do it in 11 days. It's only 11 days from Egypt to Zion. It's an 11 day walk. You can walk it in 11 days. 11. You can walk it in, a <laughs> perfect prophet can walk it in 11 days. Amen. Jesus took 40 days in the wilderness. It took him 40 days to get it all out of his system. Tested and tempted by Satan in the wilderness. 40 days. It doesn't need 40 years. The reason why it's 40 years is because our sinful nature has been so ingrained into us, we are reluctant to give up our slavery. We're reluctant to give up our wounds. We're reluctant to give up our DNA programming under the red dragon is exactly what it is. We're reluctant to change physically in our brains to what happens spiritually in our hearts. We resist, quench, and grieve the Holy Spirit continuously. And listen, He's not angry at you. He's angry at the demons and the foxes and the leopards lair and the lion's den that is trying to stunt your spiritual growth. 
God is angry at the devil all the time. Psalm says that I have hated them with perfect hatred. Hatred of God towards Satan and his angels. Why? Because it kills people. I mean, it killed 66 million children by abortion since Roe versus Wade. I mean, if you if you aren't into understanding God's hatred nature, how do you think he feels towards Satan and his angels that have systematically annihilated by genocide entire generations from the face of the earth? You need to wake up. Seriously, you need a reality check. There is hatred here that is divine against demons. There is hatred here that is divine against Jezebel that steals, kills, and destroys everyone's destinies after they're born again. Everyone's! There's been attempted stealing, killing, and destroying on every single one of your destiny scrolls since you've been born again. And it's been severe, and we've already lost so many thousands. Why are we still nice to the persons of the wicked? I'm not talking about human beings. I'm talking about demons. I'm talking about devils. And if you can't tell the difference, read the Bible, sanctify your heart until you can tell the difference. Because you are dealing with levels of the demonic that are on a level that no other generation has ever faced. It's the culmination of the ages, the maturation of the times. The maturation of the times is the maturation of six days of the seed line of Cain maturing. And six days of the seed line of Seth, the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, maturing. So obviously it's easy for us who are of the seed line of Christ the issue is, we got some mixture of Cain. We're still trying to finish in the flesh what began in the spirit. So we make it way harder than it needs to be. This thing is so easy. It is so light. As long as we're exclusively Christ and no part Cain's. No part the carnal nature, the sinful nature, the grave clothes must come off, Lazarus. I'm going there to Lazarus. He's four days dead. He stinks. He's wrapped, he's mummified. He's mummified. They wrapped him in burial clothes, head to toes. Jews in that day mummified their, their corpses when people died. It was, wasn't as extensive as King Tut, but it was still a mummification. So he was mummified. <laughs> and that mummification represents the religious nature of what Satan and his angels do to your spirit. Lazarus had known Jesus. They were friends. He had come into the glory of Jesus. You need to understand this because this is what every single one of you are facing. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, sisters and brother, were friends of Jesus. They, had count, they encountered the glory of Jesus on a level most of you can't even comprehend right now because you haven't experienced it. But they had experienced it. They had come into the fullness of the glory of Christ the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, and were friends with Him, loved Him, and guess what happened? They didn't cultivate it in their heart because the Spirit had not yet been poured out, and Satan came and killed his friend Lazarus and mummified him in religion, and he's buried, and he's dead, and he's in the tomb. He's, he's decomposing, he stinks, and his spirit is in Abraham's bosom. And Jesus is looking for his friend and sees that Satan had already killed his friend, even though his friend had come into his glory. So he's going there to wake him up. Because he knows that was against God's will for Lazarus' life. He says, buddy, these are friends. We're talking about friends, just like you have friends. Jesus had friends, big-time friends. And he goes there, casts off all the unbelief, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out levitating because he's bound in burial clothes. 
That's the power of the resurrection. He called that the power of the third day. The resurrection when you are mummified with religion. Charismatic, pharisaical, seed-filled Christians of the world, which is like 99% of us. Because almost no charismatic Christian in, in the world has yet overcome Jezebel. We say we have. You're a liar. You don't live in the fullness of the Garden of Eden. You haven't fully hatched. You don't live 100% outside the cave of your body. Your body's not wrapped in your soul and your soul's not wrapped in your spirit. You're not fully exploded yet and you're mostly deceived thinking you're something more than you are. A lot of these people hear all these prophetic words. Oh, I'm the second in charge of God's army. I'm the second. I'm like Archangel Gabriel. I'm like Michael the Archangel. I'm the leader of the world. And they get all this stuff. They get puffed up in pride and, and Satan, the red dragon, fuels pride into the brain and they hold on to it as if that's their destiny. That's not your destiny. Nothing in your brain is your destiny scroll. Zero. Zilt. Nada. That's what kills you. Those are the temptations of Satan to puff you up in pride. Your destiny scroll comes out of the locker of your belly. That's why so many are deceived to think they're greater than they actually are. So many want a name and a face. No, you need to become nameless and faceless. And then something might be added unto you. Maybe not. Maybe not. So you're just going to have to live in the mystery of it. Amen. Just doing the right thing because it's the right thing. Amen. Serving the Holy Spirit. Expecting nothing. Because God is King and He's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be served. And then you get to discover what's added unto you when you come with no expectations. Then you get to know His true full nature when you come with no lust in your heart for the King and the King's stuff and the King's people and the King's riches, the King's gold, the King's glory. And you come with just an empty cup knowing that the King is worthy to be served. That's how the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon. I come just knowing that you're worthy. Everything they said about you is true. And because you are who you say you are, I will give you everything I have of my kingdom. That's how the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon. That's how people will come to you when you're nameless, faceless, selfless, and you've sacrificed your entire soul to live not out of your head, but out of your heart. You must live out of your heart. You cannot live out of your head and be anything in the kingdom of heaven. The flesh counts for nothing. The animal sacrifices us bringing our brains, our skulls, to Golgotha. Golgotha is Aramaic for the place of the skull. It's also called in Paul's epistles, the altar. It's an eternal altar. I still work at the altar of Jerusalem continuously as a priest of the Melchizedek order. And anyone that's willing to bring their animal skull as a sacrifice gets the benefit of the kingdom of heaven. Anyone that doesn't, goes without rain. Goes without rain. Goes without water. Why? Because they cut themselves off from the kingdom of heaven. How do you enter the glory of God? By the sacrifice of your skull. And the skull is the place of all control, the place of all having to figure it out. It's the place of self. See, no self enters the kingdom. In the kingdom were one in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the kingdom were one God. In the kingdom were one spirit. In the kingdom were one body of Christ. If we're outside the sacrifice of our soul through the portal of the cross, then we're all individuals. And we'll say, I'm something. 
you're something. We'll be competitive. We'll be envious. We'll be at strife. I'm never as good as you. Listen, you're never as good as Jesus. Just get over it. That's why he died on the cross. This thing has zero to do with any of us. We just go through sacrifice our souls until Christ be fully formed in us, the Apostle Paul says. And then guess what? You are Christ. Oh, because he changed your last name. It's true. Your last name is Christ. You've been adopted into the heavenly family. And we're not ashamed to call him Abba, Father. Amen. You have to get over the religious thing that says you're not accepted into the beloved. Because the head is always a liar. I have never seen the truth come out of someone's brain once in my entire life. Anytime something's come out of the brain, it's always demonic. But when it comes out of the locker of their spiritual stomach, out of your belly flowing rivers, it is written, John 7, 38, and the bowels of compassion opened and loose for the springs of John chapter 4 to spring up in your belly unto eternal life. And there are different degrees of springs. Huh. Not all springs are the same. Some people get a little sprinkle and they're like, oh, they're the next Bill Johnson or something, you know? They think they're the Apostle Paul. They felt the spring one time. I'm talking about you need to stay in the springs until there's nothing left in there except Christ. Like, you're nameless and faceless. This sanctification never ends. You never get out of the waters. In fact, living in heaven is living underwater. If you ever come out of the waters, you stop getting sanctified, turn into a pillar of salt, think you're something in the flesh, and become a fading glory. And that's what most people have done by the temptations of Jezebel, saying, oh, you've been touched by heaven, now you can build a big ministry, now you got the gifts of the Spirit, now you can do all kinds of stuff, you can be something great. You become a sorcerer is what you become. Using the gifts of the Spirit, you become the biggest sorcerers that have ever lived. Oh, that's what the Bible says. They said they will use the gifts of the Spirit as prostitutes to become the whore of Babylon because they stopped sacrificing their skulls at the altar of Jerusalem. That they used the entire new covenant for self instead of God the Father. And that's why judgment comes upon the world. It's not because of the unbelievers. It's because of the covenant people and their greed as it was in his first coming. He'll come with the cat of nine tails, the lion of the tribe of Judah, with the nine tails of the nine sacred spices of the anointing oil so strong that he will burn up the Christians, the people he loved and died for, with unquenchable fire in a sanctification so that everything that's ever been done in his name but has served self will be given to the Lamb on the throne. Amen. And people will weep, they will wail, they'll mourn and beat their breast because they have served self, the lie and not Christ in the Spirit. So it's a time to die to self and live to Christ. It's a time to become nameless and selfless and faceless and no longer have anything to do with us, everything to do with Christ in us, until those springs are all that remain coming up in your heart and you feel the springs coming out your soul until there's nothing left internally except the river of life. And when the river of life is flowing out of you perfectly, that's when you become a manifesting son of God. That's when the Father says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful son. He'll say this. He'll thunder over your head. He'll back you up with every archangel. He'll back you up the seraphim and cherubim. He'll back you up with everything he got. If you will sacrifice self, the Father will fully support you no matter how much people misunderstand you. 
He will move mountains for his son fully formed in you. He will move the world. He will shake everything that can be shaken. Because people that sacrifice for the Father are the greatest in the kingdom and the most misunderstood. And that is many of you at the sound of my voice. That you have given up everything to serve God the Father and you didn't even care if you are persecuted. You didn't care if you are misunderstood. You just wanted the Father. You just wanted intimacy with the Father. This is truly the merry company of the kingdom of heaven. What happens if we lay at His feet and pour out our alabaster box every single day, smashing our souls at His feet for not my will but yours to be done, pouring out our spirit on the altar of Christ, pouring out our entire soul, pouring out our entire body, our flesh, bones, and blood, and DNA on the feet of Jesus every day? What happens then? Does He not exalt you up to be His very bride? Does He not exalt you to be the new Queen of Heaven and extinguish all the enemies of selfishness of the prostitute of Babylon and the seven-headed beast of the carnal mind into the lake of fire and cast her down? Cast her down. Cast Babylon the great down by the merry company that has sacrificed everything at the feet of Jesus every day to be lifted up in her humility to be lifted up in her sacrifice, to be lifted up in resurrection power. Amen. And the grave clothes will come off, the bride of Christ. As they came off Lazarus, he said, untie him and let him go. He says to the bride of Christ, to every member in particular, untie them and let them go. Your chains are loose from your hearts. The grave clothes burn off your spirit. All the lies of the soul of the enemy of the seven principalities of the seven mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ whom you've married and become one with. You have become a mature bride by continuous sacrifice. And now you can lead others as the vanguard of Joel army to the top of the mountain of transfiguration in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Partner with Red Letter Ministries, magnify this message for the whole world. RedLetterMin.com, we'll see you tomorrow.